This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Carm Capriato, Remarkable Results Radio, Town Hall Academy. Uh, let me see, week 304. And welcome back to another great episode, the single subject podcast. And we always tear a great subject apart. Someone asked me the other day, this is, how do you keep coming up with these topics? And I says, all I have to do is talk to my friends, Matt and Hunt, and they just inspire me and it just happens. So good to have him here. Matt Fonslow, lead diagnostician at Riverside Automotive in Red Wing, Minnesota, and from the Aftermarket Radio Network, the Matt Fonslow Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z podcast. Hey, Matt. Hello, sir. And Hunt Demarest is here, CPA Par Mellis, specializing in automotive shops. And of course, from the Hunt Demarest Business by the Numbers podcast on the on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, Hunt. Hey, Carm. Uh, thank you for taking time away from your family, both of your families, to be here. They were oddly happy to part with me. We're recording this <laughs> at night. It's amazing what we do as podcasters. You got a young family. You got a heck of a business going. I don't know how you guys find the time, but thank you because you guys contribute some incredible stuff to the industry. Want to uh, stop for a moment and give high five to our great sponsors. Okay, you quoted a job last month and the customer just said yes. But the price for parts went up a notch. When you use Shopware's native parts catalog, you simply update pricing with one click. Talk to my friends at GetShopware.com. And with over 2,300 SKUs and 95% sales coverage on fuel pumps, Delphi has everything you need to replace your customer's fuel pump. From OEM quality pumps, modules, GDI pumps, and fuel tank cleaning supplies and their brand new tool to instructional videos. Get started at Delphi aftermarket.com. So it was, God, man, I don't remember. It may have been a month ago. You picked up the phone and said, something weird just happened. <laughs> and he, he chatted with me about it. And I says, there's only one person to talk to. <laughs> only one person. And I, I gave him some advice, but I said, look, um, I, I think we, we got to bring Hunt into this, uh, into this discussion. And that's why we're calling this seller Beware. That's the name of our podcast uh, title today. And uh, I think you're going to really appreciate this story and dialogue. Matt, I'll let you start. Well, it's just a story of a boy in a small town. (laughs) (laughs) So over the last, I would say, year, my employer and I have been discussing the uh, idea of me kind of buying uh, in and then buying him out. The frequency of discussion wasn't. so much, but fundamentally, you know, he is saying like the sooner he could get out, it would probably be the better for me, which I agreed with. You know, stuff is just kind of going on. We're still getting together after the fire, uh, stuff like that. And it just, it's a random day. This is maybe two, three months ago. A guy stops in with a briefcase and he catches my boss's ear and they're sitting out in the lobby talking and talking and talking. It turns out this guy's a salesman and what he's selling is consultation. Uh, the company he works for is not automotive based or, you know, they don't really focus just on automotive, automotive repair shops, but they're a consultation company. And my boss kind of um, lets him know that he's looking to retire. He wants to build a brand new house and he wants to sell the shop to me. And the guy is like, well, I can send you one of my consultants to go through and check everything. And he'll just, he'll give it to you straight. 
what do you need to do? And then he'll give you some ideas uh, with bringing in our crew. So we're going to send a crew in and they're going to just get right down to the nitty gritty and figure out what it takes to accomplish your goals. And it's not like, again, it's not automotive related. And so my boss is like, yeah, okay, send your guy. And it seems like he's genuine with what he wants to do. And the consultant shows up um, a few weeks later, younger guy, I would say, I don't know, mid, late twenties. Yeah. He's got a Yale degree. You know, he's friendly. You know, he starts digging through papers and asking for receipts, access to this, access to that. Uh, really, honestly, he starts kind of begging on our accountant, not uh, face-to-face, but to my boss. Like, you know, your accountant's really letting you down. Your accountant's letting you down. And to be completely honest and open, Hunt is not our accountant. <laughs> <laughs> so That's been the twist of this episode. He's not here to defend himself. <laughs> Honey, have you ever heard of this going on? We're door to door trying to trying to hook someone. Yep, not super common, but it is not unheard of by any means. You know, I'm kind of wondering what's going on a little bit, and I get pulled into a meeting with my boss and this uh, consultant. You know, I got a level with you. My BS meter was pegged with the consultant, but I had good feelings that my, what my boss is telling me is true. That Like he legitimately wants to get out as soon as possible for my benefit. And he legitimately wants to sell me the business or, you know, however, transfer it and give me the best chance to succeed. And the consultant's telling me like, your boss is willing to do a lot to make this happen. He really just wants to be okay in retirement and he wants to be able to, build this house. That's like the two big goals. And of course, sell the business and give you, you know, not really uh, just bury you in overhead. Like he really cares that you can make this thing fly and he wants to do whatever he can to make that happen. So that was like really nice to find out. He can tell me what he wants all day and I'm not trying to like make him out to be a liar or sinister in any fashion. Just it's one thing to hear it from somebody another thing when they're telling others, right? It just really hammers home that believability or whatever. So that whatever, they're, they're figuring out what needs to happen. It turns out he needs way more money to retire. I don't want to make it sound like his fault. Like, you know, you're a mess up. You don't have enough money to retire. I think there's a lot of things going on contributing to that. And at his age, he's going to need a lot of money to retire. That's just, that's just the reality. But then comes the part where I think things go really shady. Of course, he's attacking the accountant and what they're doing and what they're not doing and all this information that they should be providing my boss and have these numbers readily available. Shouldn't be calling them and it's like, okay, give me a couple hours. I'll, I'll email them to you. They should know it. They should be able to look it up. Boom. I really hate this accountant. That's the first thing we're going to do. Fire that accountant. Again, not me. This sounds like a networking thing here. <laughs> I go, yeah, are you talking like Hunt? And he's like, who? <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was playing a coy. He knew exactly who you were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, he had us write down our five goals, just five goals. It was pretty c- cool to me that of the five goals, three of ours line up. So that was pretty cool. And concerning uh, taking over the business, selling the business, stuff like that. Now came this uh, follow-up meeting 
and he's like, have you guys started talking about numbers? And I don't, I don't know if it's important to throw out the actual number here, but we'll just say we, we agreed kind of on a, a ballpark number that we both felt was fair for the land, the building, everything under the roof, the name, just everything. Here it is, all of it. He's like, are you kidding? That This place is worth way more than that. If you'll take that much for it, I'm going to go out to my car. I'll write you a check for that right now. I don't know how important it is, but we're talking like seven figures. So I will go write a check out for this place right now. It's worth so much more than that. You know, my boss is kind of like, well, yeah, but I think this is fair and whatever. And he's like, well, tell me this then. When the IRS finds out that you've sold this business to him, which is worth three times what you're going to sell it to him for, they're going to basically say you gifted him this amount of money and they're going to want their tax money on that. He's not going to be on the hook for it. You are. I think my boss's heart stopped. His heart stopped. You could just see the panic set in. And again, I'm not taking a dig at him. I don't want this to be misconstrued in any fashion that he's, you should have known better. This is legitimate. He, you don't know what you don't know. And his heart stopped. The, the panic set in. He turned ghost white. Like, this is a legitimate problem. When I heard that gift thing, that's when I evoked your name to Matt. I said, because I know enough about deals and, and you know, stuff like the gifting thing to say that something was wrong. And I'm not trying to prop myself up either. I, I'm not trying to put myself over in any way. It, it's just early on, my BS meter's pegged. Yeah, I'm just not trusting this guy. I'm not trusting what I'm hearing. Uh, some of the other stuff uh, in these meetings that he's suggesting we do, like increase our inventory tenfold. Now, I know now you don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> right? It's just like, sorry. Your background... I learned from Hunt what the background, their background is later on. But I talked to you about it. Just kind of like the what we're talking about with the, I'm feeling kind of good that my boss is willing to go to these lengths to set me up to succeed. And I don't blame him for wanting to have his, you know, best interest in mind with retirement. And if you, the house, I, I know what you've lived in for 30 plus years. Wanting a new house is, I don't think, an absurd obsession. So I'm I'm sympathetic to that and would like to see that happen, of course. Then I'm talking to you about it and I cite this hurdle and you're kind of like, you should call Hunt. So we're in another meeting and the guy is now pressing. This is what it will take. I'm going to have a crew of, I think it was something crazy, like four or five people show up. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just going to be almost like the IRS is showing up and they get paid... an hour and it's going to be four of them, $2,000 an hour. But, you know, we'll be here for about a week and boom, we're going to get this place set up and you're going to achieve your goal in three years. And Matt's going to take over and he's already going to have a whole bunch of equity, blah, 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 blah. Just the sales pitch. And all it's going to cost you is, you know, whatever this, I think it was something to the tune of $40,000. I think it was something like that. I don't think it was 50. I think it was 40 some blah, blah, blah number. My boss is ready to write the check. Okay. And that's, again, this is not a dig at him. I don't want anyone to misunderstand what but I'm saying. How many meetings did he feel like it, he was ready to write the check? Was it four or five? I think by the third one, he was like, I, this is what I need to do to achieve my goal and dreams. 
it sure sounds like the whole goal and dreams thing really, you know, and, and no disrespect to uh, to him, but that probably um, kept, you know, his antenna up. Absolutely. And so I think he's ready to write the check. Like, he, the, the, I think the checkbook is out, the pen's in hand, and he one more time, you know, I'm working on cars, so he's stops by the car I'm working on and he's kind of like, what do you, what do you think? I'm, I'm thinking I got to do this. I'm thinking like for, for this to happen to you, for me to be able to achieve uh, retirement and build the house and stuff like that, this might be money well spent. And I'm like, I got to make a call. So I, I text message hunt, like, may I please call you? I'm, may I buy some of your time? Uh, it shouldn't take long, not because I'm trying to be cheap, but because I, I don't think it's going to require a big, long conversation. And Hunt, being Hunt, told me to F off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's why he's he on did. the team. Yes. And, that's, and that's the end of the episode. We'll never that's know. That's the end of the episode. You know, Hunt and, uh, refuses to give us advice, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, please call my office. And I put him on speakerphone and I fill him in a little bit. My boss is on there with him. And I guess maybe I'll turn it over to Hunt now his advice steered us in a different direction. When I heard some of it, right, you know, I heard bits and pieces. I think that you messaged me before we even talked or maybe even talked to Carm. When you started telling me more, I kind of figured out who it was. And I think pretty much guessed some of the other things that they were doing other than the valuation side of it, right? <laughs> but, you, you know, and, and to your boss's credit here, this is not something where he's well-versed in, right? He's never sold a business in his life, um, you know? And these people are generally very good salesmen. And just like you said, they are very high pressure on it. And they start throwing out terms that people haven't heard of. They start throwing out stuff like the gift tax, right? Because they know what people are nervous about, right? People are nervous. Hey, am I going to be able to get this sale through, right? Perfect. We check that box. People are afraid that they're not getting enough money for what they've created their whole life checkbox, right? Because think about if you're trying to go to a seller, everyone, when I do valuations and I only do valuations for shop, some people are more honest than others, but generally you can tell the number that comes in is probably not that magic number in the back of their head. Even if they get that number and they say, Hey, I know this is right. I'm not arguing about it, but they're like, that's not that much money when you factor in. I've been doing this for 43 years. I'm taking eight vacations, right? And so they're, you know, kind of preying on people's own insecurities or people's own question marks there. And then they start throwing in other stuff, right? Like you said, of, hey, we have to throw the accountant under the bus because we want people to think that they're completely missing the boat and we're going to be able to come in here, right? And it's no different than really any business owners I talk to, right? If I had a dollar for every single time someone asked me, well, Hunt, what are the rich people doing to avoid being able to pay all taxes? You know, some of my clients were all classifying them as rich, you know, and especially been working with them for a couple of years. I'll usually joke to them and be like, hey, is it true what they say that the rich people don't pay their fair share of taxes? And they kind of laugh about that, right? Because <laughs> tax rates max out at 40%, almost 50%. It is very, very expensive to make a lot of money. Um, champagne problem to have. But the reason why I bring that one up is because people hear that around, right? People think, oh, there's these loopholes. There's these things that people do. And I'll be honest, there are things that you can do to minimize this in legitimate fashions. And there's also things that do apply to people that are making $40 million a year. You know, there's a sweet spot of making a ton of money, 
but not an absolute ton of money where you have all these things at your resources. But, you know, there's a perception that, hey, there is kind of this secret code out here and there's the secret way to do things. Now, what people find out is, hey, there is different things that you can do. Hey, there's different strategies. But all these strategies come with a cost. You know, and just like Matt was saying, let's say that this strategy was going to save them some sort of money in some way, shape or form. Was it ever going to surpass the $40,000 that they're paying the people? Probably not. What a lot of people don't think about is, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to set up this entity. We're going to split these assets out. We're going to rent this back to ourselves. And they set up this extremely convoluted chain of businesses and entities, which is great, right? You know, you're trying to avoid this. You're trying to do this. And in a perfect world, in the ideal scenario, you can see some benefit there. Now, what they fail to mention, and unfortunately, you know, if I'm involved in the conversation, hopefully before this goes down, I can tell this side of it. But a lot of times what these people don't realize is kind of the residual cost. Well, hey, that's great. You set up all these entities so that you could minimize your taxes by $3,000. What they did not tell you is now you have to file six tax returns versus two. So now you're going to be paying me thousands of dollars extra to prepare these returns. So what value are you getting out of this? And the big thing that, you know, really kind of bugged me about this is maybe it's personal preference on how I do valuations and how I approach these deals. First things is I hate valuations from people outside of this industry, right? This is not self-servant. This is not Hunt's the only one that can do valuations on it. Unless you know the business and any good person that does valuations will say, I won't do a valuation unless I understand that industry. It's impossible, right? I don't care what books you read. I don't care what you look up on the internet. Unless you actually know how things are sold in that specific industry, you shouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole, right? I'm accredited in business valuation as that nice little graphic over there shows. And I've been approached to do valuations for other kinds of businesses other than shops, and I won't do it because I just don't know what is customary, right? And if you don't know what's customary, you don't know what other people are doing, you might be high, you might be super low on it. And another thing is, is when I get involved in valuations, especially where a succession plan like this, and it is extremely common in my line of work and this industry to be selling to a key member, to a family member, to a longtime employee, whatever it might be. And if I get approached and someone says, hey, we have a price, we've both agreed to it. The first question I always ask them is, hey, do you want an opinion on that price? Are you guys both good to go with it? If they say, no, we're okay with it, and it's within reason, then we're going to move on to the next step. How can I come in here in an outsider's point of view and give my opinion on something that they aren't necessarily asking for? If Matt has agreed to a price with his boss for a million dollars, and I come in and say, well, I think it's worth $1.2 million, we're not really speaking any sort of different languages here. Valuation is not as an exact science by any means. And really, a lot of times what you're doing is you're driving a wrench between people. Now, there are situations where I do have to get involved, right? Where I have to say, you know what? You guys can still do what you want to do here, but this is extremely high. Generally, if it's lower, I might not say anything or I just say, hey, you know what? That seems like a pretty good deal for Matt. And if they say, yeah, it does, but he's you know, given me lots of great years of service and I appreciate everything that he's done. Perfect. It makes sense, right? We're not giving this thing away. At the end of the day, we want something that's a win-win for both parties. You know, where that goes from there is really like, hey, you know what? If you guys want to negotiate, if you guys want to bring it down, great. But at that point, my job is to set up something that works for both people, right? Hey, you guys have agreed upon this. How do we make this where it's a win-win for both, for both parties, right? Not super lopsided where it just, you know, rewards the seller and then the buyer is getting screwed on this and not vice versa, 
right? I always like to work with both parties on this to say, all right, we can set up a situation and most people want a situation where both of you can succeed. You know, and it's unfortunate because we do see this and I see this from outsiders, whether it's a consulting firm, whether you're talking to friends, whether you're talking to fellow shop owners on it. I see a lot of people getting some really, really bad advice in these situations and sometimes completely blowing up deals, right? I've seen people in Matt's situation, and I'm not jinxing you at all, Matt, here, right? Where they have a very good handshake deal, even for years. Like, hey, we know either what that number is or what the method is going to be, and we are both good with it, and we're coming to the finish line. And I've seen it time and time again at the 11th hour. All of a sudden, it's like, you know what? I can't give this away for a million bucks. It's going to be 1.6 million. Whoa, where did that number come from? Well, you know, I was talking to my friend and he says, you never sell for less than one-time multiple of sales. And these people get this in their head and now it just completely throws a wrench into these deals. And so you just have to be super careful who you're talking to and what advice you're even trying to solicit here, right? And this stuff is deeper than just the numbers. A lot of times there's relationships, you know, there's sweat equity on this and there's just no way that someone... You know, especially an Ivy League kid with a briefcase is going to be able to come off the street and be able to, you know, unpack everything that you've done in that business or haven't done in that business and be able to throw out any sort of numbers, let alone try and charge you 40000 for this stuff. Nothing tells a customer that they need a new part faster than when they see a worn or a broken one in their hands. How do you do that in the digital age? Well, it's easy. Thanks to DVX, you can send photos and videos within its messenger platform. It's like nothing else you've seen in an auto repair SMS before. Take the best of an Amazon-like experience and use it in your shop to show customers how great you are. DVX also makes it easy for customers to drop you a quick text or answer in the messenger bubble that arises from the repair order. It's like magic. Customers love seeing what they need to do. And giving you a quick answer, you'll see your business potential right in front of you. Your customers get on with their day, and you get back to the repair. Everybody wins. It's time. GetShopware.com. As the trusted aftermarket brand for over 100 years, Delphi Technologies is by your side for every step of the repair process. The Delphi journey doesn't stop once the parts are ordered. Wherever your journey takes you, our quality parts gives you ease of mind when getting your customer's vehicle back on the road. Technicians know and trust Delphi as a quality brand. Each product undergoes rigorous testing to not only meet OE standards, but also enhance it in each opportunity. From 700 hours of spray testing on chassis components to fuel pumps tested for reliability up to 150,000 miles, And safety and reliability is paramount to help vehicles drive cleaner, better, and further throughout their lives. Delphi is also committed in developing products and services to prepare technicians for the future. Take advantage of how-to videos on YouTube, technician-led trainings, and our technical support line, and more. Turn to the aftermarket parts supplier with over 100 years of OEM trust and quality. Learn more about Delphi. Visit DelphiAftermarket.com. So by the time this episode hits the airwaves, Hunt will have had an episode out called Bank Loans 101. By the way, excellent episode. There's a little discussion on how to deal with a bank and a deal like Matt would 
be looking forward to have. But also, back in episode 14, I don't know, that was, uh, when was that? That was sometime in May, selling your shop to a key employee hunt. You've covered so much uh, of this kind of talk on your podcast, and we sure do appreciate it. Matt, so... You know, obviously called a friend, you got on with your boss, and then Hunt kind of filled us in. Where do we stand right now? Where are we? I think he stepped up how much his accountant is doing. but So I'm meaning he's paying them more. So I think for quite a while, he's kind of more on the skeletal side of things. Uh, so he stepped up that. And then um, there's a few th- other things left at the fire that I think we got to address first before we can really start moving along. I think the next big thing for me is to sit down, try to buy more of a hunt's time, really set up. And I'm not even saying like so much set in stone or get it down on paper. I think he may need uh, some education on how many different ways there are to make this happen that could really benefit both of us. Like it's, it's rare. You can say that two people can have their cake and eat it too, but we could maybe get really close to that and give him the comfort he wants for retirement while not saddling me under an absurd amount of overhead. Hunt, there is no doubt in your episode, Bank Loans 101, at the end of it, as you were talking about this exact situation, uh, it sounded like you were talking about Matt. All the things that I talk about in the episodes, just like you said before, where do you get these ideas? This is what people are asking there are so many people in Matt's shoes right now, right? I'm probably have two or three deals I'm already working on in a very similar situation of this, you know, and that's what we're always trying to do is trying to say, all right, first and foremost, we got to kind of get your, you know, not to steal these guys' ideas. What are your goals? And really specifically on that, all I care about is, hey, what is your timeline here? What is your timeline? Do you want to get paid for this? Over what length of time on it? Do you want to hold the note? Do you not want to hold the note? And essentially you go down and give them a little bit of interview and it's say, all right, if I know kind of your timeline on here, I know ultimately what you guys want to get out of this. Obviously, if you don't have a price, we can come up with a price on it. Now that we have a timeline, now we have a price on this, this is super straightforward. Just like so many things I talk about is, is people try and make things way more complicated than they need to be. This is not a hostile takeover. This is not a large corporation merger. These are two people that want to transfer ownership from one to the other. Right? How do we do this in an organized fashion that leaves the lawyers out of it, more or less leaves the accounts out of this, right? It is just not that complicated. You know, and sometimes when I see this, I see consultants get involved. I see lawyers get involved. I see people paying thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to come up with these agreements. That's like, why? Why are you doing this? You've known this person for 20 years on it, right? Are you really going to sue them and keep them binded on this contract if they want to walk away from it? Well, of course not. Well, then why are you getting the lawyers involved in this? Don't overthink this, you know, try and come up with a logical situation. And then the biggest thing is to make sure that you are all on the same page. And that's really the biggest thing that I see a lot from my side of it, right? And that's why I love talking to Matt, because he's coming from the opposite side of the table, right? He's the one buying my client's business. And a lot of times I'm only talking to my client. But the first thing I always tell to him is, Hey, you have a lot of these ideas, right? If I'm talking to Matt's boss, you have a lot of these ideas and you have probably a pretty good timeline in your head. Have you ever shared that with Matt? Well, you know, kind of, we've mentioned it. I say, no, you guys have to be on the same page here. Well, I kind of know I want to be up by this date. All right, Matt should know that as well too. A lot of times people, when they're selling a business think, well, this is just a really big decision for me, which is really not fair to the other side of it. 
you know, when Matt ultimately buys this or takes this over, this is going to be the most money he's ever spent in his life. It might be one of his largest purchases he's ever made. Do you think that he wants to get that a month before it's supposed to all go down? No, right. He's got to get his finances in order. He's got to get his life in order. He's got to kind of get his, you know, everything prepared to take this over. And it's not fair to just settle that on someone in the last minute. Matt, are you ready to do it tomorrow? Oh, spiritually, yeah. <laughs> spiritually. <laughs> By the way, we have to give a shout out to Matt. Now, people that are listening and don't have the video, you're really doing yourself a disservice. I think this is the first time, we'll call this podcast, first time in podcast history where we have a rocking chair where that mic does not get any farther away from you. So look at that. <laughs> look at that. I am jealous. I am so jealous that microphone is hooked to the rocking chair. <laughs> And Matt, had I known you've been doing all your podcasts from the easy chair, I would have adopted that a long time ago. I just ago. figured everyone would assume it. It's Matt. He's arguably the laziest person you know. It couldn't be any other way, short of it just lays on the floor. So he upgraded his accounting, or at least he stopped, he stopped paying for bookkeeping services and probably are, is now paying for accounting services, right? Is the timeline have been discussed? What are you he and he talking about? I think the timeline had to be moved later. Legitimately, he's going to have to pocket some more money. Um, but again, it's one of those things where I, after we get some of the things with the fire settled and handled, insurance stuff, I would really like to get Hunt involved. And it's not just putting over Hunt, it's, but we have trust. Uh, clearly, he knows what he's talking about. He's demonstrated his knowledge to my boss. It's somebody we can both agree on. And he has um, experience in the profession itself. Uh, it just seems like a no-brainer. That I think that would be a big move, uh, important move. Not a big move. I think it's a very important move. Uh, to get him involved sooner rather than later to start laying the groundwork. And if my boss really doesn't have an idea of timeline, because I think he's caught a little bit where he's maybe younger than most people are when they sell. And he's not necessarily ready to be out. Like, not sure what he's going to do at this time. I have an idea he'll figure out quite quickly what to do at this time. But picturing that is difficult. So there's hesitancy with that. Really, he has two big concerns. Those are addressed. The timeline's probably fairly flexible. You know what I mean? Like it could be sooner rather than later. If the retirement thing is handled and he has enough money to go after the um, building of the house, then he might be open to tomorrow. You know what I mean? It's yeah, because it's not the time, it's the money, really, right? You know, it's like, hey, at the end of the day, it goes hand in hand. One of the things you brought up in that uh, bank loans one hundred and one is a banker's relationship. And so, Matt, does your owner have a really good bankers or banking relationship with someone in the bank? I would say no, because I don't think he's ever borrowed money for anything. <laughs> That's a good thing, though. In fact, that could be a strategy hunt that the owner uh, works on and slowly introduces Matt into the banker's relationship with him and says, he's the guy. You know, and we need to talk about this. You need to see my financials. You know, what kind of money can we get? I mean, you know, Cunt, you covered SBA. You covered a lot of really cool stuff in that episode. So banker relationship, I would say, Hunt, would be a, a big one for them right now. 
Yeah. And and a big thing. And, you know, one of the things I was talking about on that one, as it relates to this is a lot of people's, again, this is concern, right? And I hear this a lot of, well, is the bank going to be okay with this valuation of it? Right. Is the bank going to say that's too high or too low or something like that? And a couple of things, right. To go back to one of the things that you said before of, well, hey, if you sell it too cheap, it's going to be a gift. That's never going to happen. Right. You're unrelated parties. You know, you've set the market on this. Is there a case where it could happen? Sure. If you got a million dollar building and you sell it to Matt for twenty five thousand dollars, if someone was to ever look into that, they might say, what happened here? But it's just a situation so extreme that never happens. But as we're talking about banks, banks very rarely ever have an opinion on the actual value of the business. Um, if you do SBA, they'll sometimes make you do a valuation, which they get a third party to do it. Again, the third parties that do this, they only do SBA valuations. They're not worth the paper that they're written on. Um, and they're generally a lot like building appraisals. Magically, they come in very close to the number that you're trying to buy this for. But, you know, like you were talking about, Karma, why a banker relationship is so important. For this deal, if it's pretty straightforward on it, you might not need a creative banker to get this deal done if it's a pretty amicable situation on it. You know, Matt's boss never had to borrow any money, which is really awesome, right? I've seen the exact opposite where people have strapped themselves with cash from day one and have just been constantly fighting back to to pay this back. But again, this is going to be Matt starting his business career. Right. And it's always so important to make sure that you have a banker that understands your business and you have a relationship with because maybe Matt's you know, business career is going to be very similar to his boss. He's going to get this loan paid off and he's going to be debt free and he's never going to have debt again. But realistically, a lot of people need debt, whether it's a small something for a piece of equipment or larger expansion or, you know, going multi location. And to have a banker in your corner that understands your business, that trusts you, that you have a good rapport with, that you can sound stuff off, that you can get advice from is huge, right? And so don't just go out and say, well, hey, who's going to be the first one to give me money? This is the first person I passed. Again, hey, does this person sound like a salesman? Does this person sound like someone that I can trust or someone that's just going to try and give me the answers that I want to hear so they can get this loan? I got to stop for just like a minute and a half and tell you a great story about a banker's relationship. When I wanted to buy my first ever home, I owned a duplex, by the way, and I wanted to continue to own the duplex and buy the house. Our business banker was different than my personal bank. And don't ask me how or why that happened. I went to my own personal bank and they said, oh, you're going to move out of the duplex? Uh, we, can't use, uh, we can't use the income from the other side. And this is, this is a bunch of years ago. And I was really upset. And I said, Mom, I'm about ready to do this. I went back to the business banker that we had a tremendous relationship with. And I said to him, is this true? And he goes, yeah, our bank does that too. But Carm, give me your paperwork. <laughs> and he made it happen. And I've seen this case so many times. And I tell people this is if you don't have anything beyond, you know, if you just give them the financials and say, hey, can I do this loan or not do this loan? and you have a bad banker, they're going to look at that and they're going to say yes or no, right? If the answer is no, you move on and you go away. A good banker is just like Carm said, is going to say, all right, we got a tricky one here. And I got one banker that I work with a lot that I trust a lot. Uh, he's a CPA, so he really understands the numbers. And every once in a while he laughs, he goes, yeah, we got a deal here, but we're going to have some work on this, right? Because <laughs> within reason, there can be stuff done, but there needs to be, and this is nothing illegal by any means, right? But this is structuring this. Hey, I can do this deal and this is going to work for Matt and his boss, but we're probably not going to be able to do the entire amount. 
Would Matt's boss be willing to hold 10%? I don't know. We got to talk to him. Well, hey, maybe if he's not willing to do this, maybe we can kind of raise the rent, right? Maybe he can hold the real estate for a little bit. We'll split up in these pieces and brainstorm these ideas. Again, just like we're talking about with succession plan. All right. First and foremost, you guys want to get money. You guys want to sell this. Hey, if we can all do this, all this now, great, right? But maybe we need to kind of take this piece by piece. And if you don't have someone that's willing to do that extra work, and also even furthermore is, hey, you could be talking to that banker and you could be in agreement with the deal. That banker's not the one that's actually going to approve that loan whatsoever, right? Depend on how big of a bank, they have some power, but most of them don't have a whole lot. At some point, they're going to have to take this in front of committee. They're going to have to take this in front of the underwriters. And that banker is your advocate. That is the one that's fighting for this. So when it goes to committee and they say, oh, we don't like this deal. It's not showing a strong history of profitability. That banker is going to want to be able to say, hey, those numbers don't paint a full picture. Hey, he's a small business owner. There's some expenses that run down through there that probably don't need to be there. Hey, take a look at how much he's making on payroll. That's not actually accurate. So if you really look at these numbers, this is what the business is doing. These are the conversations you have with the banker. Now the banker is arguing for you and petitioning for your case with committee. Hey, great stuff, guys. The title of this episode was Seller Beware. Matt, thank you so much for sharing this with me and involving Hunt. We we felt together uh, that we needed to share this with the industry because I think there's an awful lot of learning there uh, for the, the door-to-door <laughs> M&A people that you really need to be aware of. There's no doubt the graying of our industry. Everybody wants to get out. There's so much succession plans, so many, you know, number twos that are worthy of buying the business. And there are deals to be made. Hunt, I know you've done so many great episodes on it. Let's just uh, figure, is there anything we didn't say that were, was in our talking points? Uh, Hunt, I'll start with you. And Matt, you can back clean up. Anything, Hunt? Anything else? I think the biggest thing here is, right, we're in the information age. There is so much information out there at our fingertips on it, but there's such thing as too much information because a lot of this is not black and white, right? And all of it is, hey, this is the right way to do this. This is the wrong way to do this. A lot of this is opinion, right? And so if you have someone's opinion, you have to then weight their merits of these opinions. Hey, is this coming from a place of knowledge or is this coming from a place of hubris where they're really overstepping this? And that would say is the biggest thing is if you're a buyer or if you're a seller of the business, I guess we're going to do seller because this is only seller where be, beware, right? Be mindful of the opinions that you're getting and be mindful of who you're sharing this stuff with because a lot of times you get too much information and just like this, it starts to really change the course of everything and not in a good way at all. It starts to sound too good. And then Matt's BS meter came up and uh, pretty smart, Matt. I'll give you the last word, Matt. Thank you so much for sharing this because you do share more than anyone that I know in the industry and uh, all those great episodes that you've had, uh, personal triumphs and stuff, uh, challenges and triumphs. This was a, just a brilliant, uh, brilliant topic. Thank you for bringing it. Well, yeah, thanks for a listening the first time and imparting advice and reminding me to have the ability to reach out to people like Hunt and Hunt specifically. And then thanks to Hunt for taking the call and talking to us a little bit and pointing us in a very good direction. I have a couple of thoughts. One is the just kind of the predatory nature uh, of the these companies to kind of be aware of. They're using your desire against you. So you have to kind of reverse your way of thinking a little bit. If there's something you really, really want 
you know, somebody wants a new car really bad. You know, gotta, gotta have this new car, this new, whatever it is, it's probably going to be limited edition. I can't really afford it, but I really want it. So I'm going to figure out how to get it. Well, they're using that against you a little bit. They're coming in and they're capitalizing a little bit on some fears and capitalizing on where you may not have some knowledge uh, or certainly not comfortable with your level of knowledge. And they're using that against you. I'm glad Hunt brought it back up. Like It was a severe, I feel, severe fear tactic used in the difference in valuations. This is the number we agreed on, but this is what I think it's worth. This valuation can come out much, much higher. You could be on the hook. You could be on the hook for paying a gift tax on a million dollars. Do you have that kind of money? The first thing I said to Matt when he told me that, I didn't know you guys were related. (laughs) (laughs) And Matt says, no, I'm not. And I go, well, that's just some crap. This is the best. This is so good. So Hunt is on the um, speakerphone. We're telling him this. <laughs> but so my boss is like thinking he's laying this trap for a hunt. Like, well, oh yeah. Well, who's going to be on the hook for the gift tax when it comes for the IRS sees that I sold it to them for, you know, a third of what it's worth. And Hunt's like, did they really say that? <laughs> just seriously. He was like, did they really say that? <laughs> and it just deflated everything. It was so good. It was so good. My takeaway from this, an accountant relationship, you know, we talk about bankers relationship, Hunt, but it's almost like if the accountant's relationship is what it is, when the person walked in and started to, you know, shape their thinking, they probably would have said to them, uh, we're already on this. Yeah, but the thing about it is a lot of these people, right? And this is a specific succession planning, but we've had other people that have similar consultants. And Matt says they're preying on your fears, they're preying on your weaknesses. And they know that their biggest opponent in some of these ideas is going to be your accountant, right? Because a lot of people then go back and say, well, I'm going to ask my accountant that. This is sales 101, right? Figure out what their needs are, figure out what the desires are, and then give them something that's going to meet it. And they're going to say yes to it. But they already know that they're going to have pushback when they go to the accountants. So what better way to already torpedo that than to say how bad they are? Of course, they're not going to like this because they're not good enough or they're not smart enough to understand what we're doing here. So when they tell you that this is all BS, there's no put no stock into that because they don't know what we're talking about. We're much smarter than they are. Seen it all the time. Because even I've even had clients where I've said, oh, I don't really like that idea. And they said, they told us that you were going to say that. (laughs) I was like, of course they did. Well, uh, I'll tell you, Matt, uh, a great lesson here. Uh, Of course, Hunt and I wish you all kinds of success. Uh, Tell us uh, next Monday that you close the deal. (laughs) (laughs) Pre-Christmas gift. No, don't say gift. We're not going to be on the hook for those gift cards. I mean, we learned that. (laughs) Purchase. A Christmas deal. Very fair market deal. A very fair market deal with the banker's help. Uh, with a little of Hunt's help, and uh, oh wow, how cool! At least now we have the timeline, we have the goal. Matt Fonslow, lead diagnostician, Riverside Automotive, Red Wing, Minnesota, and diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z podcast on Aftermarket Radio Network, and Hunt Demmer, CPA, Part Mellis, specializing in automotive shops and an accredited business valuation person. God, that's so cool! The Hunt Demmer's Business by the Numbers podcast, guys. Thanks so much for your friendship and and coming on and doing this. Uh, Honored. Thanks, Carm. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time. Thank you.